driving along the American border with Mexico, at times it can look like a war zone. There are massive bases, military-grade equipment, checkpoints, and heavily armed Border Patrol agents spread across the entire 2,000-mile border. I was driving from Louisiana out to California almost two years ago and was shocked by how militarized this border zone was. And around that time, ramping up to the most recent U.S. election, incredible rhetoric started showing up in American politics around immigration and the border. Most of this rhetoric seemed founded in deep-seated American racism and xenophobia, essentially the idea that people coming from other places were dangerous to America and Americans. And while fundamentally we know that most immigrants who are coming here are, are really just coming to work and to find find a way to, you know, basically raise money usually for families that, that they can't bring with them. Illegal immigration or undocumented immigration also is mostly of people who are coming to this country so that they can find work. So after that drive, I had had it in my mind for, for a few years that I wanted to head back to the border zone and start working on a, a series of photos that would help me make sense of both the rhetoric around immigration, um, but also the landscape, which I feel that many Americans don't fully understand even as they see the rhetoric of immigration so often being a part of conversations about national security, American identity, and larger fears about scarcity, job opportunity, and, you know, the financial possibilities that exist for especially working class and middle class Americans. So I finally had some time, you know, open up. I've been working at a, a, a legal aid clinic in the Bay Area where I live. So San Francisco and Oakland and, and the areas north of, of the Bay that helps provide free and reduced fee legal aid for immigrants. While I've been working with them doing uh, photography, I've been hearing the stories of many of their clients they're absolutely harrowing. You know, just a few weeks ago, I spoke to a young woman who is 22 who came from Guatemala. And after already traveling across all of Central America, when she reached the border, was told that under the threat of death, that she would also have to carry or be responsible for, you know, a nine-year-old child that she was going to bring across the border into the U.S., Similarly, a lot of uh, migrants, when they get to that part of their, their passage, to the part where it's actually time to, you know, cross into America, are asked to bring, you know, drugs or other contraband. And so in this way, you know, these people are um, essentially forced into much more complex situations than if they were just trying to cross with themselves. You know, I start all, all, all of this off to say that the 
people who cross without documentation by foot are some of the poorest of the people who are coming into the U.S. without documentation. So crossing through the Sonora Desert, where I shot these photos, costs between two and $5,000 and takes seven to 10 days. And many of the people who are crossing this way have either borrowed that money from family and friends or have entered into complex agreements that are similar to indentured servitude, whereby they'll be paying off that debt, possibly for years to come, you know, with a, a high rate of interest. So back to back to this piece, hard stop all along the wall. The border, the American border is, is almost 2,000 miles long. Despite conversations about fencing or building a fence or building a wall, there's already 700 miles of border fence along that 2,000 mile border. I wanted to know what it felt like and looked like in those zones. Obviously, through my own experience, you know, as a, as a white photojournalist who also has American citizenship. And while I, I'm interested in driving the entirety of the border or traveling the entirety of border on, on both sides. About a week opened up for me to go and travel along the first 200 miles of the border, which is essentially the, you know, the, the length of the bottom of California where it meets Mexico. So I, I got in my car and brought a zoom lens and a 24 to 70 and drove down to start trying to make sense of this contested space. And I spent about a week driving, driving along the border through little towns and stopping and talking to people and, and just seeing what the, the physical landscape of the zone looked like. And I went and visited the two detention centers that are in the southern part of California where we house the immigration detainees. The two detention centers, I was not surprised to find out, are both, you know, private prisons operated by uh, a company called Core Civic, formerly the Corrections Corporation of America, whose revenues are, you know, close to $2 billion a year for essentially operating private prisons, which they also, through lobbyists, advocate for tougher policing and sentencing and, and other criminal matters um, because it's their business to incarcerate people. So I visited those two facilities, showed up, started taking pictures until, you know, until security came and told me to stop and uh, threatened to arrest me for, you know, taking photos from public property, which is within my right, certainly as a photographer and photojournalist, but also just as a citizen. And then when I was about halfway from, you know, from the very, very bottom, you know, south west corner of California, south of San Diego, to Yuma, I heard a story on the radio about uh, Aguilas del Desierto, which is a immigrant to migrant aid organization, meaning Mexican and Mexican-American immigrants who live mostly in San Diego, organizing to go into the desert to look for migrants who have either become lost and disoriented or who have died while crossing into the U.S. 
what this organization does is when they find people who are lost, you know, because they've lost their, their group, they'll give them water and, and they'll also, you know, recommend that they turn themselves into Border Patrol because once you get lost in a landscape like that without water, it's highly unlikely that you'll survive. And so while many of the people that they encounter in the desert have traveled from as far away as Guatemala or Nicaragua or Honduras, at that point, they, you know, encourage people to turn themselves in. And, you know, and, and then a whole process can begin where they can either seek asylum or they're held and eventually deported back to their country of origin. So I heard this radio story about this organization and... I, I I looked up their Facebook and gave them a call. You know, asked them, are you guys going to go do any search and rescue anytime soon? I'd love to accompany you on one of these trips. And it turned out that they were headed out that weekend out into the Sonoran Desert in Arizona to, to stage one of these search and rescue trips. And so I, you know, had the incredible privilege of joining them for the weekend in the desert while they searched from sunrise to sunset for folks who who had been either deceased or, or lost in their process of crossing into the U.S. And just to give you an idea of, you know, who these people are and what they're doing, which, you know, obviously you can see in the photos, these are people who almost all work in uh, working class jobs, you know, construction workers, tile layers, landscapers. And they finish, you know, around five on Friday at work and then go home and take a shower and get in the car and drive seven, eight, nine hours out into the desert. When I was there, their caravan arrived around 2 a.m. And at about 4 a.m., about an hour before sunrise, they were up preparing for a full day of, of searching in the desert. And these folks are up sunrise to sunset, Saturday and Sunday. And then they finish up their search and, you know, drive home to be at work on Monday. So it's an incredible level of dedication. And, and I found myself just deeply inspired seeing how much work these folks were putting in, all unpaid, you know, no administrative costs. They fundraise at swap meets and other community events in Southern California um, because each one of these search efforts, you know, costs over $1,000 in gas and food and supplies. So a few facts um, about American immigration that seemed interesting to me. You know, in the last year, American Immigration and Customs Enforcement, ICE, has arrested 143,000 people. And throughout the year, you know, 420-something thousand people have been in some sort of detention related to their immigration status. Over 60% of that, almost half a million people, are held in privately run for-profit immigration detention facilities. And every year in America, taxpayers spend about $2 billion on detention for, you know, immigration-related offenses. So that means that every day, there's about 34,000 people who are in a detention 
facility somewhere in America for immigration violations. And the scale of that is just staggering. I mean, America incarcerates more people than any other nation on earth. But it's incarceration of immigration violation, you know, suspects really only began in the in the 90s um, and kind of simultaneously emerged at the time of private prisons lobbying, you know, American politicians for increasingly harsh sentencing. My experience of this week along the desert was humbling and at times terrifying, imagining what, you know, just in the smallest way, what it must feel like to be standing in front of an open desert and knowing that for seven to 10 days, you would be crossing the desert trying to make it to, you know, in in this case where I was to uh, Highway 8, you know, where you're guide would have set up a a pickup point with a car. And then that's just really the beginning of the journey, you know, eventually trying to make it to a city where you felt safe, where you could work or begin working, you know, likely off the books, so with very, very minimal protections. For many of these folks who are coming into the country, you know, most of their money is getting sent back to families that they have in their country of origin. So I think this story was really for me just the beginning of an exploration of what some of these spaces look and feel like, some of the stories of the people who are spending time in these spaces. And really, I think my goal is to, you know, not only help people tell their own stories of their, you know, migration into the U.S., but to help people who aren't necessarily connected to these migrant communities or immigrant communities understand the incredible challenges and the incredible amount of work and endurance that it's taken each one of these individuals to come into the country. I'm hoping that by showing the experience of immigrants, especially to Americans that aren't a part of immigrant communities, that they will have more empathy and more understanding of the incredible sacrifices and challenges that these people have gone through to come here and work.